Welcome to the On Intimacy podcast. For one of life's most important topics, authentic intimacy in sex, love, dating and relationships. Visit onintimacy.com for resources, courses, coaching tips and more. On with today's show. Season 1, Episode 4, Dating Over 40. I'm speaking with internationally known TED speaker, dating coach and workshop leader Sandy Weiner, founder of Last First Date, devoted to helping women achieve healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. Sandy specializes in helping women communicate effectively, set clear boundaries in relationships and value themselves. Sandy has contributed hundreds of articles to prestigious publications such as the Huffington Post, Psychology Today and is the dating expert at Better After 50. Our overall topic is the last first date for women over 40. So let's look at the challenges that a woman over 40 will experience in the dating game or looking for that last first date. So I think there's challenges and there's also a lot of pluses to dating at this age. And what I find in dating after 40 is that hopefully you know yourself pretty well by now. You're less concerned about a zit on your face and more concerned about bigger things. You realize what's important in your life. Uh, a lot of people have been married already, so they know what didn't work mm-hmm. and or they've been in long-term relationships and they know they know what the deal breakers are. And that's a good place to start. Um, the, the One of the issues in dating over 40 is that a lot of people don't trust they have been hurt and they're bringing past pain to the next relationships. And so a lot of this is, is really helping people to reframe their mindset about dating and to realize that a lot of it is what you bring to the table. You've got to take responsibility for your share, no matter what relationship you've been in. And, and you know, if you've been in one that's unfortunately been abusive or emotionally or physically, you stayed, you know, if you stayed, that's, there's a reason why you stayed. And I'm not saying to blame a person. I'm saying that there's something in your history, maybe that had you not recognize what was unhealthy. And so you've got to look back at your patterns and, and really, you know, come clean and see, see if there have been patterns and see what they are and, and analyze it so that you don't repeat the same mistakes I think when you look outside and say, well, all people will treat me the same, you know, that's exactly what you're going to get because you'll find that you're going to keep looking for evidence that is going to prove your point that people can't be trusted, that people will treat, cheat on you, that whatever your experience has been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of it is each person is a clean slate. Each person is not the person who hurt you. And, um, and I suggest that people look for evidence that a person is a good person, you know, look for, look for a way for them to win, look for things that are good, start out with the good, you know, even, even when searching online at profiles, women often go, oh, no way. And I go find three good things, you know, and so they, they go, oh, wow, I would never have looked at that person. But now that I'm looking for the good, I'm actually seeing that there are some good qualities. We are very close to our lives in the sense that we don't see the mistakes that we make or what kind of impression people have of us. 
we don't always see that we're saying and doing things that can be really off-putting. Um, and a, a big number of the women that I deal with are women who are successful in the workplace and really struggle in dating. And one of the things they often do is they don't turn off that competitive edge that they bring to work that helps them succeed. So we call that masculine energy in the in this field of relationship coaching. Yeah. I, they, I, I relate very, very much to that idea. I have had some pushback from a couple of women who don't like the idea to, they don't want to acknowledge that the energy that they're, they're manifesting is anything that we would call masculine. They think <laughs> they're being themselves or they're being strong-minded or independent or they think for themselves can you can you speak to that does it seem like a sexist term to clients or not yes so for people who are not informed yes it can be very sexist sounding it sounds like we want to suppress who they really are and tell them to dumb themselves down Mm -hmm. which is not at all what it is so for example i am an independent strong successful woman in the beginning of my coach of my dating Um, so this is maybe six years ago, I would try to prove to men how successful I was. And I would list all my accomplishments and, and talk about how busy I was. I was crazy busy. And men would basically think I have no time for them. Mm -hmm. So while I was trying to prove something, they were like, well, she doesn't have time for a relationship. I want a woman who's going to make time. So it's a message that you're sending out, even though you may have time for a relationship. If you're sending out this message and I'm so crazy busy, I can barely, you know, juggle what I have. A good man that you're probably looking for, these women who are strong are looking for strong men who are successful themselves. They're not going to find them because they're going to be turned off by the energy that you're putting out. So what I suggest is don't suppress who you are, but take some of that masculine competitive edge and push that down and bring up some of the warmth, the femininity, the parts of you that create polarity with men because two likes don't attract. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually a repellent. Right. So so you've you've mentioned competitiveness as a masculine energy trait. Is there anything else around masculine energy? And then how do we compare that with what we'd call feminine energy. So another thing that I think a lot of people don't see as as masculine is one-upsmanship. And this is another form of competition. So um, a lot of people think witty banter is what the, the main thing is. How, that's how you connect. You know, oh, he's so witty. I'm so witty. We just so witty together. And that's fun. It's a lot of fun. But what it is is you're one-upping each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, that can really get in the way of creating close connection. So while that might be a nice way to connect, you may wonder why isn't this man calling me back? We just had the most fun evening. We even made out at the end of the evening. Seemed like he was really into me, but he probably walked away from that date thinking, you know, she's fun to hang out with, but I can't really see a future with her. So that's another way it shows up. Um, Also in clothing, you know, a lot of women come straight from work and they're wearing their work clothes and they're kind of all buttoned up and and uh, wearing a suit. And so they're not showing their femininity. I I have a lot of clients who don't own a dress, 
And I'm surprised, you know, like go out and buy a dress, you know, put on some clothes that make you feel like a woman, Uh Um, you know, and it's again, it's not about not being feminist. You know, I am a feminist, but I also really like men and Uh I want to attract a man who doesn't want a therapist, who doesn't want me to take care of him, who doesn't want a mommy. And so if you're putting out all this energy that I'm going to problem solve for you. Um, uh, women put that in their profiles online. I, I'm a great problem solver. I'm a strategic planner. These are not feminine qualities. You might be great at that. And then, you know, six months down the, the road, you're in a relationship and you're saying, he never plans anything. You know, why not? Because you're doing everything. <laughs> so, so it's really like, even though you're great at something, just let him show up as a man. Let him do what he does really well. If you don't create that space, he's not going to show you what he has. He's not going to pull out all his shiny stuff. Right. So then the next question that comes to mind, because these are the kind of topics that I speak with people a lot as well. Um, Another pushback might be um, kind of where do you draw the line in terms of being authentic? Like you said, you want to be yourself, but... When you're trying to fit into these roles or gender roles, how do you stay true to yourself uh, during that process? So it's in the choice of what you choose to talk about. So be true to yourself. Find, you know, I, I really believe in preparing before dates, for example. So you don't just show up on a date and just whatever happens, happens, because you can end up not getting to know a person at all by the end of the date. So I recommend that women share something that they're passionate about. Share something that's emotional. Use emotional words. Don't just use thinking words. I think this, I think that. Use words about what you feel because um, that's generally what women are good at. We're good at sharing feelings. We're good at making great friends and having relationships. And a lot of times men don't have those connections outside of a relationship with a woman. They don't hang out with their guy friends and talk about feelings. They talk about the game. They talk about Mm -hmm. competition, what they did at work. You know, you have this opportunity to bring out something amazing in a man and make him feel like he needs to be with you because you help him access that. So bring out that part of you. Talk about, you know, you go to the museum and you saw this incredible exhibit and it moved you. And maybe it moved you to tears Talk about that, you know, show him that you have a softer side. Um, so it's not fake. It's just accessing parts of you that you may not always be comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, so let's take from, from online, the ability that we suggested we could talk around was acing the date. So when it's date night for a woman over 40 and she has that challenge, overall challenge of being able to trust someone what are the challenges that happen actually on a date that relate to being able to trust so some of it is the masculine energy she comes in trying to prove something she doesn't know how to just be or how to listen listening is a huge skill and again men don't always have the opportunity to be heard so listen Um, there's also a whole thing that I teach women about how to interrupt a man if he's talking too much about himself and Mm -hmm. and to do that in a kind way. So, you know, don't tolerate a conversation that's 
you know, ex-bashing, victim-y, um, where a guy's just talking about himself. So, you know, I, I teach her how to politely say, you know, is there anything you want to talk, you know, you want to learn about me or, um, you know, if somebody's bashing their ex, you can gently say, I really want to get to know who you are, you know, and not what your past is. So can we just talk about today, you know, and then ask a question. So women, I mean, everybody has a lot of control over the conversation Mm -hmm. and you can redirect any conversation to make it more meaningful um, another thing is body language, and people often, you know, do this and the crossed legs, and even something as simple as if you're at a restaurant to move away the ketchup bottle and the the salt and pepper shakers and create a, a streamline between the two of you. That is, you know, a great way to open space and to stay connected. So, you know, leaning in touching somebody, touching your date on the arm if you're interested, complimenting. I mean, we don't compliment. Um, that's a big one, you know, and a simple compliment like, wow, that color blue really brings out the color in your eyes that's so beautiful. You know, something simple, not, oh, my God, you're the most brilliant man I ever met. Right. A little over the top. Mm-hmm. Oh, at the end of a date. Um, so a lot of women don't give clear messages to men. I'm sure you've felt this. Um, you get to the end of the date, you're not quite sure. Did she really have a good time? Did she fake it? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. And so we, I encourage my clients to let a man know, I really had a great time and I'd love to do this again. But don't say it if you don't mean it. Men and women, I can't stand the, you know, oh, we had a great time, I'll call you. That's not polite. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is the evidence that a woman has to know that she's, she's developing that ability to ace a date? What is the understanding that a woman needs to have to know that she can be confident approaching a date given also that she has a, a, a history of relationship failures where she's learned to not trust? What is the mental transition maybe that she's having to make? So first I want to say that Ace the Date is actually the name of a program that I created with Bobby Palmer, who's a colleague and a good friend. Um, And so it was a a live telecourse that we then um, created a program that people could do a self-study with. So that's available on my website. Great. And in that program, we teach women how to prepare for dates. So if I was working with a client privately, I would I would work with them on self-love first. You know, you got to really get clear with who you are, what your unique qualities are. What do you love about yourself? And that's hard for a lot of people to really articulate that. And if you don't have the ability to work with your demons to... Um, to not let those negative voices take over, then you prepare for a date. You're a nervous wreck. You're always thinking, I hope that he likes me. Please pick me. I mean, this happens in in writing emails to men too. You become that 14-year-old, that 12-year-old adolescent back like, please pick me. And um, so I've what one of the best exercises that I do with my clients is a future self exercise that I learned when I was trained to become a life coach at the Coaches Training Institute. And I modify it to to fit a woman or a man who is thinking about their future. 
So it's basically it takes you on a guided meditation to who you're going to be in five years. And when you visit that person who you become, you talk to them, you ask them a few questions like, how did you get to be where you are today? What did you do? Um, And you look at and see, is that person in a relationship? What does she look like? What's her house look like? So this is all done with your eyes closed. And um, at the end of the exercise, you come up with a metaphor for the nickname of that person, which stands for their essence. And when they come out of the guided meditation, I ask them the nickname. And that is their higher self. That is the essence of who they are already. And I can quickly take them out of that negative saboteur self into that higher self by just saying, you know, what would, I have a client whose nickname is Breezy. What would Breezy do? And so that is like, oh, Breezy would, you know, this would be really easy and she'd make it really simple and she wouldn't make it so hard. And so um, we need tools to get us out of negative self-talk to get us out of that self-beat up because, you know, most of us were brought up in homes where we were not given the right tools to really believe in ourselves. And if you don't believe in yourself, then it's really hard to form a good relationship with somebody and have them fall in love with you because you're asking them to do something you can't even do for yourself. Mm, Brilliant. What is the relation between believing in yourself and trusting another person? Mm, Good question. I believe that you have to fill your own cup to have the capacity to love and trust somebody else. And if not, you're constantly looking for fault in other people because you're always looking for fault in yourself. And I think the most miserable people are so self-focused. They're always looking within and what's wrong. Why me? Why me? Why me? So, so to get out of that why me victim mentality and say, okay, what can I learn? You know, that's, that's a great question to ask you know, after every date that doesn't work out, what am I learning from these people? And um, because dating is a great way to learn about yourself. We have success in other areas of our lives. Most people have great success in all areas, but relationship. And so this is where we need to really find that grown up self of that, that confidence that we're lacking. And practice helps, you know, each date is, is going to make you a better dater if you're learning and growing from each one. So that's great. You mentioned the confidence and you said, what would Breezy do in a particular situation? Let's look at the emotions that a woman over 40 will have when she has that confidence to approach dating, regardless of trust issues of the past. Well, first of all, I think when you have that confidence, you're going to approach dating as a journey and not a destination. So Mm -hmm. each single person that you meet is not going to be a disappointment because that person didn't end up being your true love. It's part of the journey. And so, you know, have that end goal in mind, you know what you want at the end of the line. It's like writing a book, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a novel. So I know I want to get to point B but I don't really know how I'm going to get there. There's going to, you know, I'm going to dump stuff on the paper and some of it I'm going to have to throw out and I'm going to go down a detour, which often happens in relationships. I'm going to go down a detour and start talking about something else. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the wrong direction. I've got to redirect. 
So it's the same thing with dating. It's like, oh, that was a wrong turn. Okay, let me get back on track. Oh, but I learned this from this guy. And so, you know, I have a saying that it's not about never dating a player again, because a lot of women date men who are charming. They're players. That's like a big thing. I just wrote about it on the Good Men Project today about the nice guy and, you know, why do, why do all women want jerks, um, which I don't think they do. But um, you can you can be attracted to a player, but you don't have to let them into your life, into your heart. You don't have to have sex with them. You don't have to do things that, that you don't want to do um, that are going to hurt you because you have a lot of control over those parts of you. So when you feel more in control, when you feel that, okay, lots of people are going to be attracted to me, I'm going to be attracted to lots of people, but the more I know about the things that I absolutely must have in a relationship, and I'm going to learn that even more, and I'm going to distill it down each time I go on a date, and I'm going to say, hey, I liked, I liked that quality, but this will never work you know, in my life, so... You know, I'm mm. going to say goodbye to this person sooner rather than later. A lot of people hang on mm-hmm. forever, and they they do it out of fear. There's a lot of that scarcity feeling that there's no one else going to come around. And so, w- when you date um, from from an abundant point of view, from a, a really good mindset and an open growth mindset, then you're going to believe that the right person is out there. And then you're going to be picky about the right things and not about the wrong things, like how tall he is and what color eyes he has and what's in his bank account. You know, a lot of those things don't really matter in the long run. So what are the things that a woman over 40, again, staying on topic, will, when she's ready for a good relationship, when she has some of that confidence when she sees her dating as a journey and not a destination, what are the kind of experiences that she expects to develop and and create during the dating? So she's going to try to learn about whether he has her must-haves because she's going to be so clear about that. And she's not going to try to change somebody into something they're not. Um, This is what a lot of people do. They recognize red flags or not. But most of the time, people see red flags and choose to ignore them. You know, so, but he's so good looking. Yeah, but he treats you like crap. That's a must have, you know, to be treated really nicely and to have a guy who's a team player. Um, So, you know, I think that being a smarter dater, learning what those red flags are. I mean, I've done a ton of study on you know, how to spot a dangerous man, how to, you know, a lot of them are crafty. A lot of people who are really charming are really bad for you. And, you know, stop, stop looking for those qualities of, of charm and, you know, looks and favor the qualities of a person who shows up in a crisis, Mm -hmm. who's there for you, no matter what. Um, Look at how they handle traffic. You know, do they have road rage? That's a pretty bad sign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a crisis early on in a relationship with a man, and he was not there for me. And I, I called him on it right away. And I said, look, my life is complicated. You weren't there for me. That's not okay. He apologized, said he'd do better, and he didn't, and I left. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just put it on the table. But knowing how to communicate 
how to communicate your feelings, your needs, knowing how to identify them. A lot of people can't even do that. Um, so I think, you know, over 40, hopefully people are better at, at speaking their needs. And if they're not, I, I teach that. How easy is it? How fast is it for women over 40 to make improvements? Are they set in their ways or have they just never heard good sound relationship advice before? Or have they, have they wound themselves up so tightly in a ball of negative emotion? Or what is the real breakthrough and how easy can it be for people? I think people are all different and there are some who are really shut down. And it's sad to me that it, it's, it's fear-based. I mean, it's, it's just mm-hmm. you're locking and guarding your heart because you do not want to get hurt again. And what they don't realize is, yes, and I will never find love again either. And so you have to be open to having pain if you're going to be open to feeling the full breadth of your emotions. Um, It's scary for people. So what I say in my TEDx talk about being a Tootsie Pop is that it's not just about taking the layers off of your heart and throwing them away. Because if you do that and you haven't strengthened internally, you're going to be open to being hurt again. What I do is I help people get get strong inside. I help them figure out who they are and all the things that we've talked about, but also to set clear boundaries. Like I just told you, I said with that guy, my life is complicated. It's not going to be all roses. And if you can't handle that, that's fine. But I'm going to walk away now because I need somebody who can. I need somebody who's got my back, just like I'll have his back. Being able to have these conversations is huge. And... Um, So that comes from skill building. And when people see, oh, I was just missing these skills, I can learn those. So, you know, my clients come to me, sometimes they're just, they're so ready. They're so open and so ready and so full of hope. And others, it takes a little bit of time for them to come around. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't usually work with people unless they're there already because I I don't convert people. Everyone would say that they want to improve the quality of their life, but a lot of people don't really actively try to do that. You can easily say, I can't. You know, that's a very easy thing to say. I can't. Um, I had a client today say, it's in my DNA to be a rescuer. And I said, it's not in your DNA. It's something that you were conditioned to become, and we're working to uncondition you. (laughs) We're working to teach you new ways to be in the world so that you're not out there rescuing. So no matter what it is, if you say I can't or it's just it's part of me. I mean, my mother once said to me, I come from a long line of martyrs and that's why I am who I am. And I turned to her and I said, you know what, mom, I come from a long line of martyrs, too. (laughs) (laughs) I chose a different path. Mm -hmm. And I consciously chose a different path because I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be a victim and a martyr and be drained all the time and be pissed off at people all the time. So we we have so much control over how we choose to live our lives. And I don't like the word can't. I don't like the word shoulda, coulda, woulda. I grew up with a lot of that. My dad was a shoulda, coulda, woulda guy. And, And I saw what it did to him. You know, it kept him locked in a cage of... Uh, what ifs and you know my life is I am I am and I'm doing and I believe that's something that everybody can do if they really choose to Mm -hmm. 
we've covered a lot of different areas and I, I can see little bits of beliefs and there's the skills <laughs> and the how-tos. So let's formally go over to part two. Let's either summarize or focus on some of the skills and the techniques and the practical things that women over 40 can do to get rid of the trust issues or overcome various challenges that we've been through. So some of what I teach is self-love skills. So when it comes to loving your body, for example, a lot of women are very critical of their bodies, especially if they've had children. And I remember thinking the same thing when I got divorced. I had had four children and I thought, my body doesn't look the same as it did when I was in my 20s. And I was really fit in my 20s. And um, the truth was, I still looked really good. I just didn't see it. And it took me going out with men and hearing it from them to start believing in my beauty and myself. And so there, I, I, I have a, um, a coaching group called the Inner Circle. And one of my monthly guests was a woman who taught the uh, self-critic diet. And, um, and she really talked about how to stop criticizing yourself. And um, she gave like a seven-day plan of things to add every day to love your body a little more, to stop beating yourself up. So some of it is those kinds of skills where you recognize the negative chatter. And one of, one of my favorite things to do is to help people really flesh it out. You know, who is that voice? Is there, can you name it? Um, it's often a critical parent, somebody you know in your life. Um, for people who like to draw, you know, draw it out. I once had a client make this amazing painting of her gremlin. It was just like mm. this evil. Uh, and and then you, you know it when it shows up. And sometimes it's comical. Like, it's just like, oh, I can laugh at that. And, it, and um, I actually did something in my, when I was doing my coaching training, and I was still so full of self-judgment that I failed my first oral exam. Mm -hmm. And... I was working in a summer camp at the time in a sleepaway camp and we had a Raku firing workshop in ceramics. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's an outdoor firing under really high heat. And I created my gremlin without even realizing it. I made this kind of Yoda looking character and was like smushing him. And he, he had a mouth that was like the scream. And, and then I watched him go through the fire I watched him go through high heat and then ashes and then cold water. And there was something so healing about that for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to just, and the next time I, I had my oral exam, is to have that gremlin sitting next to me and saying, hey, you're not allowed to talk. <laughs> you know, you can sit here, but you're not allowed to talk. And Elizabeth Gilbert just wrote a great book called Big Magic. And she talks about the inner critic when it comes to creative work and she said, so it, her analogy was like driving a car. So that critic wants to come with you and drive the car. You can let them sit in the back seat, not allowed to drive, not, not allowed to give directions, you know, but they're allowed to be there. They're going to be there. So it's taming, taming those voices. Um, also noticing the voice, you know, noticing that it's coming in and then sort of being an objective observer um, this is something that's worked really well for me and my clients. 
where you kind of look at it and go, oh, isn't that interesting? The voice is here again. You know, what are you looking for now? And, and just kind of talk to it as, as a visiting guest, but it's not in you. It's not you. It's something that's floating by. Mm-hmm. So when you're not absorbing it as this is me, just like that woman said, this is my DNA. It's not your DNA. It's not you. It's a voice that you developed because it was keeping you safe at one point in your life, kept you from harm, and now it's keeping you small. And so it's no longer serving you. And, you know, some some voices are keeping us from danger, and we need to pay attention to those so we don't get hit by a car and we don't burn ourselves. But most fears that we're fearing are just emotional and we're making them up. And so learning how to deal effectively with those fears and practicing that on a daily basis and sometimes journaling, however you express yourself best. Even if she has strong trust issues in the past, would you still recommend that she go and start dating relatively quickly and immediately or does she have to do work first? I would, yeah, I would do the work first. So I've had people who just got out of a relationship and they're really confused about next steps. Those people need to take a break from dating and do some detox, do some, you know, really healing, internal healing. For I mean, you don't have to be like, you know, 100% ready, all cooked, you know, everything is perfect. That's That's what a lot of people do. Also, they get fearful to start the dating process. So, you know, it's, a, it's an individual thing, but I think for a lot of people, you've got to take the time first. I have a client who's an older client. She's in her 60s. She, one of the things I discovered on one of our coaching calls before she started dating was that she wants to write a book and she's got all the pieces and she hasn't been doing it. And so as her coach, because I have coaching training in a regular coaching certification program, Um, I know how to hold people accountable. I know how important it is to achieve your goals, and especially if it's a passion. And I also know that if she gets this thing done, she's going to be a much more interesting person on a date. Mm -hmm. So it's something simultaneously that I'm having her work on, um, but not to push off goals because you want to be an interesting person in your life. And so it's, it's, it's more about like living the best life you can live. And when you come from that place... Um, you're, you're just going to be a better dater. That's great. Why would a woman not value herself? So a lot of women have been in horrible relationships and those people have put them down and they start believing that negative talk. Um, you know, it's, it's, some people have addictions. Some people have, you know, a lot of like negativity. Some people have some sort of mental illness and anxiety and, all kinds of things that get them caught up in that negative self-chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you hear over and over and over again, like uh, that you're not good enough, that you're a lousy cook, that you were a terrible mother, that, you know, whatever it is, and you start believing those people, then, then you've got to work on yourself. Um, but it's not always that extreme. Often it's just, you know, this is the best I can do. And that, again, comes from that feeling of this is all there is in the world. Um, You know, maybe you've been afraid to try to achieve more in your life. And, I mean, that's why my life has been so exciting for the last eight years since my divorce, because 
I was free to do whatever I wanted. And I started a new career in coaching. I was an artist before. Um, I never really made a huge career out of my art, even though I was talented. I told myself that I wasn't that special. Now I look at it and it's like, oh my God, I did a lot of really amazing things mm -hmm. and, um, and I had talent. So, you know, you start a project and you start going, well, it's not good enough. I think it's such a common thing. Um, and we're also taught that it's not good to brag, you know, that you're not supposed to talk about yourself or you're supposed to be humble. Mm -hmm. I see people doing it to their kids when they're really little. Don't get so cocky. Don't, you're not going to be number one. Just don't. Don't talk about it. You know, instead of really encouraging our children, I mean, I have, I had four kids really encouraging each one of them to to be the best they can be, you know, to follow their hearts and not, not necessarily follow the way of every single other person. And so, you know, people, people got upset with me that my son didn't go to college. Um, mm -hmm. But he's a musician, he's an artist, and he's talented, and he has a plan, and he's doing really well. So I knew that he wasn't going to stay home and watch video games, but he was going to go and find his passion. So there's a lot of negative people going, you know, stay safe. Don't do this. Don't follow this. D take the easy route. Take the safe route. That's why people end up in bad relationships. They're, right. you know, it's secure to be in a marriage. Get married. You're running out of time. Have kids. You know, you have to lock down your career. Mm -hmm. And it's usually what your parents' dream was and not your dream. So, you know, there's so much of that that we have to sort through it all. And I think as you get older and you say, hey, this isn't working. I cannot live out of alignment with who I am anymore. And, and that's when you start making amazing change.